Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I also hope that it challenges you. And I want you to know that we are in our year in the greatest commandment, looking at this great commandment from Jesus to love God and to love people. And so I hope more than anything that this encourages you to love God and to love the people around you in a more holistic way. I also hope that you have some people around you to talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we would love to see you at one of our Sunday gatherings or in one of our Restore groups. You can get all that information on our website at RestoreAustin.org. I hope you enjoy the message. Thanks. Raise your hand if you remember the night at the Roxbury skit on SNL, right? About these two guys that went to this club that apparently only had one song that they played over and over, and they wore shiny suits and comically got rejected by girls over and over, and you saw it. I was like, oh, it's funny. Oh, they're going to do it again the next week. The same thing. The two guys, same song. Oh, it's a different girl this time. Oh, they do it again the next week, and by the third or fourth time they've done it, it's like, yeah, it's kind of barely working. So what do they do in their infinite wisdom? We should take something that barely works for like three minutes and make it 90-minute long movie. They got a robust 11% on Rotten Tomatoes whenever it came out. That is all free of charge this morning, so there you go. little info about the night at the Roxbury. My name is John. I'm the community pastor here at Restore, and we are beginning a new series today, as you saw, called What is Love? We have been in this, what we're calling the year and the greatest commandment this year, all about the theme of love. Last fall, we looked at God's love for us and our love for God. And this spring, we kind of turned our attention to what does it mean, kind of with our knowledge of what it means that God loves us and how we are to love God. With that as our baseline, what does it mean for us to love others? So now we're talking about what does it mean for us to love others. And we're going to be in this passage in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 over the next few months leading all the way up to Easter as we talk about what is love. So 1 Corinthians was a letter written by a man named Paul who came after Jesus, who was radically transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus, gave his life over to follow him, and was kind of the leader of the early church. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. And he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a metropolitan city. It was a seaport city in Greece. It was actually the leading commercial center of southern Greece. So all of these different cultures and different people and different faith traditions were all converging on Greece because it was kind of the cultural epicenter of the ancient world during this time. And they were all converging on Corinth. So as Christianity was growing, as the message of Jesus and his love began to explode, these people were coming from all over the world to Greece, to Corinth, and they were coming into the church. And what they were doing is they were kind of importing their faith systems, their beliefs, and their traditions from other faiths outside of um, Christianity and even outside of Judaism, because the majority of the people who were converted and became Christians in Corinth were actually Gentiles, those who were raised outside of the Jewish tradition. So they carried in all these pagan beliefs from these pagan religions, and they were kind of importing some of those beliefs and traditions onto Christianity whenever Paul wrote this letter. And he's actually writing this letter to address some issues that are happening in the church. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he's addressing this argument that is taking place that's birthed out of these different faith traditions and these misconceptions about religion and about God. This question of who is the most important 
began to kind of bubble to the surface. These people were kind of jockeying for position in the church, and this thing has started to happen, what we call the visible gifts or the sign gifts, kind of namely speaking in tongues, was taking place in Corinth, and people thought the people that displayed these gifts, the people that could speak in tongues or display or manifest these sign gifts, that they were the most valuable in the church. Therefore, they should have the most prominent positions, and they should have leadership in the church. So Paul is addressing kind of this really powerful, strong, argument that's happening in the church in Corinth when he writes this letter. And what he does in chapter 12 is he says, you know, those gifts, they're all good. They're not bad in and of themselves. They're good things, but they are definitely not the most important thing. Sign gifts are good, but there's something far more important, far more important than your stature, than your position, than the power that you hold in the church. And he ends chapter 12 after addressing this argument that's taking place, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way, the most excellent way. And I don't know if you're like me, I can't read that verse without thinking about these two guys. I mean, they were time travelers, right? So they could have gone back to Corinth and Paul's writing, I, could have show, I want to show you the, the better way. And they're like, no, Paul, most excellent way. He said, I want to show you the most excellent way. What is the most excellent way? This is what he goes into in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men of, or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my, over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love, love, love is better. Love is this most excellent thing that Paul is writing about here. He says, nothing else matters if you don't have this one thing. All of these sign gifts, all these visible gifts, they don't matter if you don't have love. But it leaves, leaves us with this question, what is love? If love is the most important thing, what is it? And the people in Corinth at this time who were coming from outside of the Christian faith, outside of the Jewish ancient Hebrew tradition, they're asking the question, well, how does this faith, this Jesus, answer the question, what is love? What are the elements of love? What are the characteristics that define what love is? And this is what Paul goes on to write. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in, the evil, in evil but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That is what love is. And these characteristics, these elements that Paul lays out here are what we're going to be spending our time from now until Easter talking about. Now, where is this verse typically read? Where do we hear this most often? We hear it read at weddings, right? This is the like, classic quintessential wedding verse. But the context of this verse is actually far different than that. It's about infighting. It's about disagreements. Because it's easy to love your fiancé on your wedding day, hopefully. It's easy to love your fiancé on your wedding day. But what Paul's talking about here is far more difficult. He's asking, how do we love people that we don't like? How do we love people that we have major disagreements with? 
If you're a Longhorn, how is it possible to love an Aggie? If you're a Democrat, how can you love a Republican? How do you love that in-law that drives you crazy? And this is really the context and the moment that Paul is speaking to. And this passage of Scripture is actually a cornerstone passage in all of the Bible. Uh, One of the men that I admire most is a guy named Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan monk, mystic, amazing man. And he had this to say about 1 Corinthians 13, specifically these few verses. He says, 1 Corinthians 13 might be the supreme piece of condensed theology in the entire Bible. The whole message of Scripture is there. You can go to the store and you can buy a systematic theology book that will range from 800 to 1,000 pages long. But Richard War says that the entire scriptures can be summed up in these three verses. It's the condensed, full theology because it has elements of grace, elements of mercy, the call to holiness. So when we see a list like this in the Bible where Paul begins to say, love is patient, love is kind, it does not boast, and you see a list, the order of the list is really important. Usually, the most important or the most critical and often the most difficult thing is the thing that's addressed right off the bat. So today, we're talking about patience. That's our subject today. Raise your hand if you find yourself occasionally or often impatient. Occasionally or often impatient, all right? Uh, A couple weeks ago, I had an experience that was amazing. We were given this incredibly generous gift by a family member for our family to go to Disney World for six days, in the Disney parks for six days. I hadn't been since I was a kid. I really had no memory of it. And Disney World is the most magical place on earth, they say. Disneyland's the happiest place on earth. Disney World is the most magical place on earth. And I wanted to kind of go into it with like a childlike experience. So I actually refused to read anything about the parks. I didn't watch any videos. I wanted to go in completely blind to what I was gonna experience it and see it as a 40-year-old man with like the eyes of a child. Um, There's this phenomenon, you may not be aware of this, you may not have read about it, at Disney World, this thing called lines. Have you ever heard about these things? And I was not aware of the lines at Disney World. Now, I'm not talking about like a line to go to the bathroom after a movie or at a sporting event. I'm talking about lines that are like two-hour long lines. We were at Disney World for four days. We got to Universal Studios, and they sold this magical thing called an Express Pass. And I was so impatient by this point and so tired of waiting in lines that I looked at these express passes that were incredibly expensive and I said, well, you know, we can buy these for our family, the four of us. Uh, My kids won't be able to eat for like three months, but it is totally going to be worth it because I don't have to wait in lines. Uh, We didn't buy the express pass. We had to endure the lines. It was a great experience, but like that's the most recent example of my impatience just like taking, taking charge of me and kind of setting reason aside, willing to spend all this money just so I don't have to wait in these maddening lines. And I know that I'm not the only one who struggles with impatience. You raised your hand, but there are people that you're familiar with as well that struggle with impatience. Look at what Margaret Thatcher had to say. She is the former prime minister of Great Britain. She says, I am extraordinarily patient provided I get my own way in the end. Who can relate to that? Yes. Um, One of my favorite comedians, Dimitri Martin, had this to say about patience. He said, I need to develop some patience immediately. And for the second time today, referencing Will Ferrell, a comedian, said this, before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with slow internet service to see who they really are. We laugh because they're true and we completely understand what they're talking about here. Patience is a virtue and it is a difficult virtue to embody and to live out. 
uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar, I feel like we should applaud his parents for that name. That's an incredible name. He had this to say about patience in the context of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, hence the importance of patience in the New Testament, which becomes, listen to this, the basic constituent of Christianity. Now, a constituent in a figurative sense is something that holds the weight of something else. He says patience in the New Testament is the thing that holds the whole faith system up. It's the constituent. A constituency of like a, a, a political figure is the people that vote them into office and they're the representatives of that person. So not only is it the thing that supports this faith system, but also it's the thing that we're called to embody. He said it's the basic constituent of Christianity, more central even than humility. The power to wait, to persevere, to hold out, to endure to the end, not to transcend one's own limitations, not to force issues by playing the hero or the titan, but to practice the virtue that lies beyond heroism. I love that. To practice the virtue that lies beyond heroism, the meekness of the lamb which is led. It's amazing. Practicing this virtue that lies beyond heroism. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, what Paul's talking about here, this idea of patience is actually founded in the Old Testament. Uh, One of the earliest kind of face-to-face interactions that we have between a humanity, between a specific human and God happens in Exodus chapter 34 with this guy named Moses. Moses has led the Israelites out of captivity and oppression in Egypt. He's led them in the wilderness as they're making their way to Israel. He's grown really fed up because they've been freed from slavery, yet they're complaining and even talking about going back to Egypt because they're tired of making this journey to the promised land where God is leading them. He's on top of the mountain, and he's crying out to God saying, I'm ready to give up. I'm so frustrated with these people. And he says, God, show me your glory. Tell me who you are is essentially what he's saying here. What is your name? And so in the ancient Hebrew world, when you ask someone for their name, their name was more than just a label. It actually was a descriptor of who they are, who they were, what their destiny was. And so what happens here in Exodus 34 is this is kind of God's self-disclosure statement. This is ground zero for a theology, theology of God. So when Moses says, show me your glory, tell me who you are, God responds and he says, okay, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. In Exodus 34, 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Slow to anger. That's one of the defining characteristics of this God that's meeting here with Moses. Now, contrary to popular belief, there's actually no word-for-word translation of the Bible because so much of the ancient Hebrew language is actually um, ideas or word pictures or colloquialisms, which are common phrases of the day that just don't translate smoothly into English. And this word, this phrase, slow to anger, is the Hebrew phrase, erek apayim. Everybody say that with me. Erek apayim. It's an interesting phrase because it literally translates long of nostril. Long of nostril. And I think it actually does a great job kind of explaining this emotion. Because think about what happens when you get angry, when you get mad, and you give in to that anger, and you give in to that, just that madness and that rage that lies within you. What happens? You kind of exhale and explode like through your nose. That's a really gross picture on a Sunday morning. But you know what I'm talking about, these little short bursts of air, and you're, you get really, really mad. But Being slow to anger, you close your mouth, you purse your lips, you take a deep breath in, 
Many of you have seen that in the face of your parents when you were growing up and you kind of pushed them to the edge and you slow, it slows down your heart, it calms you and God's saying, this is what I'm like. I'm slow to anger. Proverbs chapter 16 uses the same phrase, erek apayom, when it describes patience. It says, whoever is patient, whoever is erek apayom, is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The patient person in the ancient world would have been seen as weak, whereas the mighty warrior would have been the one that people would have esteemed and wanted to be like. But the wisdom literature, the wisdom writer in Proverbs saying, no, 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 far more powerful than the mightiest warrior who can overtake an entire city is the person, person who is long of nostril, the person who is patient. This word patience in 1 Corinthians, when Paul writes it, is the Hebrew word macrothumia. Macrothumia is actually a compound word, two different words coming together. The word macro means long, and thumia means rage or anger. Long to rage, long to anger. It's kind of the same idea. So if that's what it means to be a patient person, an impatient person is someone who is short to anger, whereas a patient person is someone who's long to anger. And it's kind of a fitting word picture for us today because we use the phrase that someone has a short fuse, right? A short fuse. Remember like the black cats that you would use on the 4th of July? They had that little short fuse. One thing my parents are sitting here that they don't know that my cousins and I used to do is we used to light those in the house and we would lick our fingers and see if we could put it out before it would explode because it had such a short fuse. It was a fun thing we did. And luckily they never went off. <laughs> hey, mom and dad, how are you doing? Good? All right. So, but we see this short fuse, short to anger versus someone with a long fuse, someone who is slow to anger. So Israel is having this experience with this God who reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34 and says one of his characteristics is someone who is slow to anger. They experience this and then God sends his son Jesus to show us what it looks like to actually live this out in human form. And now Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is saying you've experienced this with God, you've seen this in Jesus, and now you are being called to live this way as well. Now the problem for us in 2020 is that we live in a culture of impatience. We actually live in a culture that plays to that impatience. It encourages, excuse me, encourages that impatience. We live in an on-demand culture. When I say on-demand, you know what that means. You can watch any movie that you want on demand in that moment. You can pull out your phone right now and get an answer to pretty much any question within five seconds. We have kind of this Veruca Salt mentality. My boys are watching Willy Wonka this week. Veruca Salt, what did she want? She wanted the whole world. When did she want it? She wanted it now. Uh, we were driving home from my parents' house actually on Friday night after having dinner. And it was just my, me and my boys there in the back seat. And I said, boys, um, you know, I'm speaking Sunday. I'm talking about patience. Tell me about a time that I've been impatient. And in my head, I was thinking, you know, take your time. I know this is, this is going to be hard. You have such an amazing father who's just slow to anger, long of a nostril. And um, take your time. But before I could even get the word, tell me of a time that I've been impatient. Before that word impatient was even out of my mouth, my nine-year-old said, every day. And I looked in the mirror and I said, what? And he said, every day. And he goes, oh, do you need like a specific example Literally what my son said. He said, usually you tell me to hurry up when I get out of bed. You tell me to eat my cereal faster. You get frustrated with me because I'm not standing the way I should whenever you're fixing my hair. You tell me to hurry up and grab my bag and get out to the bus stop in case I'm going to miss the bus. This is them with like the first 30 minutes of them being awake. And I was like, okay, thanks, buddy. That's all that I need to know. 
The sad thing is that many of us are most impatient with those that we love. Now, my wife has the spiritual gift of being late. I have the spiritual gift of being uptight. And as this story shows, I also have the spiritual gift of being very stupid. Uh, Not too long ago, we were going somewhere, and my wife was embodying her gift of lateness, and I was frustrated, and I was in the car in our van with my boys. She was in the house, and I decided to do something that a husband should never do, and that's honk the horn a couple of times. She didn't come out, so I decided to go ahead and throw the car into reverse so we could make a speedy exit so that when she got in the car, we could get on our way because I was frustrated because I'm an uptight and impatient person. So she walks out. She gets in the car, and she's about 80% in the car when I decide to push on the gas on our sloped driveway, and the weight of our heavy car door closes on her leg, and I got that look. You know the look I'm talking about. And I saw my nine-year-old son in the back cover his mouth, (laughs) and he was like, oh, no, you didn't, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Because my impatience had taken over me, and it was kind of like that Steve Urkel moment. Did I just do that, you know? Because I'm an impatient person. But Proverbs 16.32 says, whoever is patient is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Patience in our cultural moment is something that is truly supernatural. It's the better, it's the most excellent way that Paul's talking about here. And patience can transform your life and your relationships. I want to look at four things really, excuse me, really quickly this morning, morning about why patience is the better way. Why is patience the better way? Patience is the better way because it can heal or help to heal a broken relationship. Patience is like a balm to a wounded relationship. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. A patient man is the calm in the midst of the storm. When you're stressed, when you're tempted to become impatient, are you the calm in the quarrel? Are you the calm in the storm? Are you, or are you the person fueling the storm? If you look back to the first book of the Bible, uh, Genesis tells a story about this guy named Joseph. Um, he is the second youngest of 12 brothers. He's the favorite of his father's. His brothers grow really jealous of him. They decide that they're going to actually kill him. And right before they decide to take his life, they say, well, there's no profit in killing him. Why don't we sell him into slavery? So they sell their brother into slavery. They tell their father that he was killed by a wild animal. Joseph was sold into slavery, was sent to Egypt, was sent into the house of this wealthy man named Potiphar. There's these events that happened in that house that actually led to him going to prison. And through this God's supernatural work in his life, after being a slave, after being in prison, he actually worked his way up in the Egyptian government to where he was like the second or third most powerful person in all of Egypt. 24 years later, after his brothers sold him into slavery, there was a famine that hit that area of the world. And his brothers were forced to come to Egypt, and they actually stood before Joseph, not realizing that it was him, saying that they needed help because they had run out of food and their family was on the brink of starvation. And in this moment, with all the power that Joseph had, all the patience that he had had to exercise, the long-suffering, as the Bible calls it, over 24 years, he could have had their life ended in that spot, in that moment. He could have done to them what they did to him. He could have had them thrown into jail. He could have had them sold as slaves. But what did he do? He forgave them. 
he actually welcomed them into Egypt and gave them a place of position and prestige and honor because Joseph was a patient person. Joseph was a, a long-suffering person, and Joseph is actually an early glimpse of the character of Jesus early in the scriptures. Proverbs 25.15 says, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. A ruler, the ruler of a land, the ruler of a house in this era of the world, patience, God is saying, is more powerful than those to see, who seem to hold the most power. So if patience is a fruit of the Spirit, like the New Testament teaches, impatience is, the fruit, is a fruit of the flesh. This word flesh simply means like doing things our way, doing things like everyone else does, not doing things the way that God would have us do. Impatience, anger, and rage is natural. But patience is truly a supernatural way. It is truly countercultural. And through patience, God can change a heart and God can heal a broken relationship. So why is patience the better way? Because it can heal a broken relationship, but also a patient person gives God time and space to work. And you don't have to look past the character of Jesus and the life of Jesus to see that this is so true over and over and over again in his story because Jesus was patient, because Jesus didn't give out, give up on people, that Jesus lived this out perfectly. Jesus, for instance, didn't write off the woman at the well because of her past, because of her sins. He was patient. Jesus didn't blackball Zacchaeus, the tax collector, for stealing from others and because of his greed. No, he greeted him with love and with patience. Jesus didn't ban Peter after his denial. No, he was patient and he was forgiving because a patient person gives God time and space to work. So Jesus loved, he forgave, and because of his patience, God worked. And over time, these lives were changed and so many other lives because of the patience that Jesus lived out. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. It's an interesting verse because there's this redundancy of the word wait here. What's interesting about this psalm is that the author is not writing to another audience. The author is actually writing to himself. He's speaking to himself. And he says, wait, have strength and courage, but wait. He says, wait, or be patient, twice because being patient, he knows, is so much more difficult than having strength or courage. That true strength and true courage is the ability to patiently wait on God. Because waiting on God can be hard. I think we can all agree with that, if you've ever been in that position. Waiting on God can be hard, but the only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Waiting on God's hard, but the only thing that's harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Have there been times in your life where you've looked back on a season of your life, a year, a relationship, and wished that you had waited on God? Now you're left with massive regret because you didn't. Because waiting on God is hard, but now you know that you wish that you had because God had something in store for you. But because of your impatience, you rushed through it, you made your own decisions, you took control of the situation, and now you're left with regret. Jesus was patient. Jesus had to wait 30 years for a three-year platform, which led to three hours on the cross for the purpose of saving our soul. Think about that. Jesus had to wait 30 years for a three-year ministry that ended with him 
hanging on the cross for three hours so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be welcomed into the family. Romans 8 says, but if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Patience is rooted in the hope that God will work, even if it means waiting, even if it's not in our time. So why is patience the most excellent way? Because it can help heal a broken relationship, because it gives God time and space to work, but simply because God is patient with us. God is patient with you. Listen what Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. He says, out of everything that I'm writing you, don't forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness, but he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He is patient with you. Jesus' patience took him to the cross. Jesus was patient for you. His patience is your salvation. So patience is the most excellent way because God is and God was patient with us. But finally, because God was patient with me, I should be patient with others. Because God God is and was patient with you, you should be patient with others. And what that means for us is that we have to ask God for opportunities to exercise that patience in our life. We have to pray for opportunities to be patient. But while we're doing that, we have to realize that when we pray for patience, God doesn't necessarily send patience. He sends an opportunity for us to be patient. So we pray for patience. God just doesn't, you know, sprinkle us with patience dust and we're all of a sudden a patient person. What he actually does is he gives us opportunities to be patient, whether that's with a kid with a spouse, with a coworker that just drives you crazy, with a family member, whatever it is, God says, you want patience? Here's your opportunity to be patient. I don't know how many times I've walked through the store and seen someone with their kids, and my heart goes out to them because I have two myself, and their kids are just going crazy. And you can hear them under their breath say, Lord, give me patience. And I say, no, he's giving you the opportunity to be patient right now, and your kids are watching to see how you're going to react in this. He's not going to magically give you patience, but God wants to give you an opportunity to be patient. Because an opportunity for patience or an opportunity to exercise patience is an opportunity for heart transformation. Being patient is as much, if not more, about a change in your heart as it is about a change in your circumstances. Maybe you're waiting on God to work and change your circumstance. And God's saying, yes, I, you know, I may get to that. That may be my plan to change your circumstance. But what God is far more interested in is changing your heart. So God wants to do a work in your heart and change your heart before he changes your circumstances in so many ways. So it's about that. But it's also about putting God on display to a world that needs to experience his radical countercultural love. Because when we're patient with others, it shows that this God that we follow is different. And because this God is different, the people that follow him are different as well. So going back to the church in Corinth, when these people who'd come outside from outside this faith tradition asked, well, what is love and how is it defined in this faith? The same question is being asked of us today. If we claim the name of Jesus, people want to watch us and say, what makes you different than everybody else. What makes your God different? How has your God transformed your life to live in a different way? 
So as I end, I want us to think about this, that patience in our life is either an ally or it's a bully. Patience is either an ally or a bully. When we lose control, that means we've given over to impatience. And when we've given over to impatience, impatience becomes a God in our life that masters us. We don't rule over it. It rules over us, and it controls us. But when we exercise patience, we rely on God. And our patience becomes an ally of, of, uh, for us, allowing us to, as the Scripture said, to be in the world but not of the world, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's what patience can do for us. But patience in our life and in our cultural moment takes intention. Patience is not a passive activity. Uh, the martial artist uh, Bruce Lee said this, patience is not passive. On the contrary, it is concentrated strength. Patience is not passive. On the contrary, it is concentrated strength. So, to love others, especially people that are different than you and people that you disagree with and people that you struggle with, takes effort. It's not passive. But to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, means that we have to be patient. When we rush things, when we get impatient, we refuse to allow God the time and the opportunity to move and to work in our situation. And our impatience actually displays a really broken and fragmented image of God to others around us, especially if they know that we're a follower of Jesus. But when we wait patiently, essentially what we're doing is we're handing the keys to our life over to God and we're giving him the space and the time to work out his perfect plan for our lives and others. So what is love? Love is patient. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you love us and that you have exercised so much patience toward us in our life and displayed it all throughout Scripture. And I think everyone in this room can probably tell stories about how you've been patient with them. But God, we also recognize that patience for us today is really difficult in a world that's chaotic and rushed an on-demand culture that can get anything we want in just a moment's time. Patience is truly a virtue that is difficult and that can really seem out of reach for us. So God, we pray that you would give us opportunities in our day, in our life, to be patient. God, that you would stretch us in areas where we need to grow. God, that through your love that we will embody patience. God, as we seek to be like your son, Jesus who was patient for us and his patience that led him to the cross so that we could have salvation, that we could have a relationship and that we could be welcomed into the family, God, that we would live out to the best of our ability through the strength of your spirit, that same kind of patience with those around us so that they can experience this radical countercultural love that you want to ex them to experience and that you will welcome them into the family just like you welcomed us. Father, we love you that you call us to hard things. God, we aspire to be like your son. God, make us holy, make us patient. In your name we pray, amen.